take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look in a moment at verses 17 through 19. We are in a five-part series. This is the fourth message in the five-part series. And the title of the series is Keep Calm. It's based on a, uh, the idea is based on a, uh, a poster that was printed in 1939 uh, in, uh, just prior to uh, the invasion of, well, the bombing, I should say, of London. <clears throat> and the idea of the poster was to keep calm and carry on. And that was our first message, keep calm and carry on. And then we spoke of keep calm and have faith, and we spoke of living and walking uh, by faith. And then last Sunday, we dealt with keep calm and pray, and we talked about uh, the Apostle Paul and how Paul prayed for something that really never came to pass, that is, exactly as he had asked, but God gave him strength that he did not expect. And then today, uh, the message that I think all of us could embrace is keep calm, God loves you. Have you ever thought about the kinds of love that we can experience in life? Our very first love is the dependent love that we have for our parents. We don't know that it is love at first. But we come to find out that it's a lifetime of love. My little granddaughter, Emerson, has a love for her parents that she had prior to being born. Now, in a few weeks' time, she's going to have a little sister. She's already developing a love for her sister. You'll ask her, where's Avery? And she points to her mama's stomach because that's where Avery is right now. So there is that love that parents have with their children and children have with their parents. Then we go to school and we discover something called puppy love. I don't know that they use that term anymore, puppy love. It's a good term. Puppy love is, well, it's that first uh, love. It's hard to forget your first puppy love. In my case, I married my first Uh, puppy love. She is my wife even today. After puppy love comes our first loves, which often become the loves of our lives. Children uh, come along, and love is is redefined for us. Now we begin to see something that's different than we ever experienced before. It's a new kind of love that we didn't know and we didn't expect. And then comes grandchildren. And when grandchildren come along, there is a definition of love that we never knew existed. And it comes along. It's a great thing. Love is a wonderful thing. Love brings the greatest joy and peace to our lives. But could I tell you this, that it can also bring a a good deal of, of turmoil. A love that becomes unfaithful or unkind is a love that breaks our hearts. A love that fades is hurtful even more, it is heartbreaking. How can we keep calm when the love in our life is troubled? How can we keep calm when the world around us is in such trouble and we wonder if anybody loves us? 
Well, the most important love of all is the love of God. And even when we are disappointed in other loves of our life, the love of God is constant, and the love of God is compassionate. So today I want us to take our... uh, take heart and hope in the love of God. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, as Paul states to the Ephesians, I want you to know the scope of God's love for you. When you leave today, here is my goal, is that you'll go out and you'll say, okay, now I understand more of the scope of how God loves me and how much God loves me. God loves you with an amazing love. God loves you with a tremendous love. I want to share four truths about the love of God for your life and for mine. Here's the first truth. God's love for you is first. Now, that's important to understand. You probably saw or sent a note one day in elementary school, and it said something like this, maybe in middle school or junior high, for those of you who are a little older. Do you like me? Check, yes or no. How many of of you either saw or sent or received one of these? Would you raise your hand? Most everybody here. Do you like me? Yes or no. Everyone wants to have the love that they give returned in kind. We want people to like us. We want people to love us, especially if we're going to love them. When they fail to return our love, that's what we call an unrequited love. It's an unreturned love, and that's really not the kind of love that we're looking for. Some people are so cautious about this that they never come to a place of actually falling in love because they're so afraid of loving without being loved. They don't want to love and then fail to have that love returned. These people must have an assurance of love in advance of ever stepping into the arena of love. They want to absolutely, beyond the shadow of a doubt, know that when they commit themselves to love somebody, that there has already been a return commitment before they ever say anything. Now, the good news for all of us is that we can be assured that God's love is just like that. There's never a danger of giving love to God and not receiving God's love back. There's never a danger of that. And the reason is because God loved us first. 1 John 4, 9, we love because He first loved us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. 
God loves you. And God loves me. God loves you for who you are. God loves you for where you are. God loves you in spite of what you've done. God's love for you supersedes anything in your life. God loves you already. Now, all of us have done some regrettable things in life, but none of us have done anything in life that would cause God not to love us. God loves us. He's going to love us, and he's going to continue loving us. I read recently, tragically, of a pastor who had an Ashley Madison account. Um, Most of you here saw the news of the Ashley Madison thing. When the hackers leaked the names of those who had signed up for the website, and if you don't know, the website is designed to help people cheat on their spouses. That was the whole scandal. When the When the names were leaked, many people in public life were caught in that trap. And this pastor was so distressed by being outed in the scandal that he took his own life. He killed himself. Now, there are no doubt thousands of tragic situations surrounding that scandal. But I want to tell you something, and I want you to hear me today. God loves us regardless. God's love for us is consistent. Is there anything so bad in your life that God, who loved you first, would stop loving you at all? Is there anything so bad in your life that God says, well, you know what? You you stepped over the line. I can't love you anymore. I'm going to divorce my love from you. You're going to have to find another God because I can't love you because of what you've done or because of what you've said or because of how I feel about you. I just can't love you. Now, our world is in a serious moral dilemma, but there is nothing in this world or nothing within us that can pull us away from God's love for us. Now, we find that very hard to believe, and the reason we find it so hard to believe is because our love is so fragile. That is to say that we'll love you until you cross us. We'll love you until you hurt us. We'll love you until you violate our love. And we should not cross people, and we should not hurt people, and we should not violate people's love and trust. However, I want to tell you something. We should be thankful that God's love is not like our love because God is going to love us anyway. This is not a, to condone any kind of behavior that is immoral or disobedient to him, but to emphasize that the God who loves us first loves us still. He continues to love us. So when you get down on your life because you have violated uh, your trust uh, or or God's trust in you, and maybe you've not done the right thing. Maybe you have sinned. When you have, have done such a heinous thing that you feel like that no one ought to love you, I want you to understand something. The God who loved you first loves you still. God loved us first. Here's the second thing. God's love for you is vital. 
It wasn't just first, but it's vital. We have to have God's love. Now, I want to tell you something about me, and I think many of you already know this. I'm a guy who wants everybody to like him. I really do. I want everybody to like me. However, I came to understand some time ago that not everyone was going to like me, that not everyone was going to love me, that not everyone was going to even tolerate me, because there are a number of folks in this world who just don't get it. They look at a Randy Ray and they say, I don't get it. So I don't like him. I don't love him. I ain't going to tolerate him. Now, I say that because I know that none of you have ever had that kind of an experience. Everybody gets you. Everybody understands and appreciates you. But in my case, there happen to be some who do not. Now, let me ask you this. Don't you have some people who are not your cup of tea? Don't you have some people that, you know, you just, it's okay for you not to spend a lot of time around them? Seriously, don't you? I mean, let's be honest about that. We've all got people that we don't want to spend time with. Can you live knowing that there's someone who doesn't love you? Sometimes it it really doesn't matter, and sometimes it does matter. Look, you won't be and don't have to be accepted by everybody. However, the love of God is vital in your life. If God didn't love you, that'd be a real problem. Now, I want you to love me. And if you don't, I'm sorry. I really am. But I am crushed if I thought God didn't love me. Because God's love for me is not only first, but it is vital. Let me tell you why it's vital. It's vital for me and you because we are sinners. When it comes to the kind of love that I'm talking about, we have no standing to achieve God's love. Here are a couple of verses that all of us should know. Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. You ever get the feeling like, well, no, not many, (laughs) just a few? No, there's no one righteous. So when God loves us, he loves us with the knowledge well in advance that we from the beginning were not righteous and we're not going to be righteous. And here's why. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me say that the, the message of grace has far more impact when we all realize that we are sinners. The message of grace has far more impact when we all realize that there is something within us that's not right and not in harmony with God and cannot be in harmony with God aside from something outside of us happening. I realize that some would take exception to this, because you're a Christian. You say, I'm a Christian. I don't appreciate you calling me a sinner. And I understand your feelings. But the reality is 
that we're all sinners. All have sinned. All of us, not most of us, not the majority of us, not everybody but a few, but all of us. We, we <clears throat> do not all trip over the same brand of sin, but we all sin. I didn't have an Ashley Madison account, but that pastor did have an Ashley Madison account. I don't have this problem. I've got other problems that you don't have. But we all are sinners. It's a constant struggle in all of our lives. Constantly. We, we sin through all various kinds of avenues. But it is a constant struggle in our lives. And we sin in areas where we could read just a few verses and see that God hates the area that we sin in. We all do. There's one person that gave us, I think, the best insight for what it's like to be a believer and a sinner at the same time. And that's the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the Romans in Romans seven twenty one. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin." Unless you have some perfection that the Apostle Paul could not find, you're a sinner too. We all are sinners. And here's the second thing. This is why God's love is vital. We are sinners in need of salvation. If I'm a sinner, I need salvation. You know the God that loves me no matter what? That same God who loves me no matter what views my sin in light of his holiness, not in light of the people around me. I might stand beside you and say, well, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as this one right here. That's what the Pharisee did. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not as other people. I thank you that I've got it so right. I thank you that I'm in the position to be able to dictate who really is a sinner and who really isn't. I can't do that. You know what I am? I am a sinner in need of salvation. Here's what Jesus said. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, the word perish and the possibility of perishing is not attractive to me. That's not something that I I want. There's not much preaching on hell these days. I would say that today and in most churches, there will not be a mention of a place called hell today. And let me tell you why. Because it's not culturally relevant. It doesn't fit the feel-good of the day. It doesn't fit the permissive lifestyle that is being preached to today. But here's the reality. 
we are sinners in need of salvation. And one reason that we need salvation is because sinners like me and you are still dying in sin and going to hell for an eternity. We're still doing that without salvation. It is, it, it is possible, it is possible. I don't want it to happen. I hope it doesn't happen. I pray that it doesn't happen. But I want you to hear this, please. It is possible that you could live all of your life and die and go to hell for an eternity. That is entirely possible. That is not outside the realm of possibility. You can do that. In fact, I'll go you a step further. Most people do that. And anybody will do that who hasn't been born again. That's all you need to do. You just need to fail to repent and be born again. Going to church isn't being born again. Giving in the offering isn't being born again. Being baptized isn't being born again. Living a good life isn't being born again. In order to be born again, you must be born again. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that, that, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart, one believes and is justified, and with a mouth, one confesses and is saved. Look, we are sinners. We are in, God's love is vital to us because we are sinners in need of salvation who cannot save ourselves. Just can't do it. Salvation is a gift that is given to us from the God who loves us no matter what. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are sinners in need of salvation who cannot save ourselves. We don't have the first clue as to how to save ourselves. I, I mean, if, if I were to say to you today, well, good news, God's opened up a way for you to save yourself. You say, well, great, tell us how that is. I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can tell you is I'm a sinner. The only, only hope I had was that Jesus would save me. But if you want to go out and find another way, go ahead and try it. I can't do that because that's not salvation. It can't be salvation. Very early in my life, I, I realized that I was a sinner in need of salvation. I, I, was, I was young. I was afraid. Of, I, I'd been raised in, in a, a Christian home. I was afraid of the consequences of of living even more, dying without the assurance of salvation. I mean, I was afraid. I, and I, and I want to say this to you. I, I believe that conviction is an important part of salvation, coming to a place of understanding. I am a sinner and in need of salvation because bad things happen to sinners who don't get saved. They go to hell. I've always given this little uh, addendum to that, people say, well, you know, is that really a reason to get saved? Oh, yeah. It's the only reason I got saved when I was eight years old. Now, there's been a lot happened since then, but that's the only reason that I got saved. I didn't want to go to hell. 
My daddy would preach on hell. My daddy was not culturally relevant, I'll tell you that. My daddy would preach on hell. I've seen my daddy strike a kitchen match and hold it up and say, who wants to come up here and put your finger on the end of this kitchen match? I mean, the flame was, was burning. Who'll do that? And then he would go into a detailed explanation as to how much hotter and more permanent hell was, and I shuddered all over. You say, well, a little boy ought not have to put up with that. I didn't have to put up with that because Jesus saves. You know what happened to me? From my heart, when I was a little boy, I spoke to the Lord and I said, God, I'm a little boy and don't know what to do. Please save me. Now, it was at that point of simple faith that I gave my heart and life Jesus Christ to be born again. And there are many people, maybe some of you, who have never been saved. And the reason is because you, you are hesitant to do what the Bible says, and that is humble yourself as a child and just come to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't know what to do. Please save me. You say, well, I don't understand enough about the Bible to be saved. I was eight years old. All I understood was a kitchen match that my daddy held up, and I didn't want to go to a place filled with kitchen matches on fire. The God who loved me then loves me now, and my soul is forever saved, not on the strength of my prayer or the theological understanding that I had, but in the depths of his love and faithfulness to save whosoever will that would come to him. And by grace, I was born again as a little boy who said, God, I'm a little boy. I don't know what to do. Please save me. You say, well, I wish I'd done that when I was a little boy. Here's the beauty. God didn't stop loving you since you were a little boy or a little girl. God loves you today. God loves you right now. God wants to save you even today. He loves you. You say, well, I've been a church member all of my life. I understand that. But I've got to say this. At the end of your life, It will not be a church membership, a baptism certificate, or whatever, anything else. Jesus himself said it. You must be born again. God's love is vital. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In a few moments, we're going to give an invitation. I'm going to invite you to come and and to meet me at this altar. But I want to say something to you. I'm going to give you an opportunity right where you sit in this room before you leave here. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do very simply and humbly what I did when I was eight years old. And that is if you're uncertain of your eternity to pray, God, I am lost. I am uncertain, but I know this. You love me. Please save me. You say, well, I haven't read the Bible through. You'll be then a born-again person who has not read the Bible through. You can get started being a saved person who's read the Bible through. Keep calm. God loves you. God's love was first. God's love is vital. And God's love for you is real. Some people go through life doubting the love around them. I just don't think they really love me. 
Husbands and wives sometimes doubt each other. I don't think you love me, or you don't love me like you used to love me. A lot of discussions, a lot of tense moments, a lot of arguments are made over trying to reconvince somebody that they are loved, or somebody trying to find out if they're loved. Children sometimes, they wonder if their parents really love them. I don't know if my parents really love me. There are a lot of people in many situations of life who live in doubt about their salvation. They're not sure whether or not God really loves them. You must never concern yourself again. After this sermon today, you must never concern yourself again about whether or not God loves you. There's two things. You you should settle for sure that you're eternally saved. And secondly, never concern yourself again with whether or not God loves you. You can be saved. You can be born again today. Even if you've come through all of these years and haven't really done it, you can be born again today. And secondly, you can know that God loves you and is never going to stop loving you. Let me tell you why. First of all, he said it. God said that he loved you. This was my father's favorite verse, 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. There's something genuine when we are called by certain names. There's a certain genuineness about it. You ever been introduced to someone and, and the person introducing said, this is my friend. This is my friend. Oh, man, friend. Carries a lot of weight, doesn't it? Or my husband. This is my husband. Have you met my husband? Have you met my wife? This is my mom. This is my dad. Whatever your grandparent name is. Jan's grandparent name has been Grand Jan all along, but Emerson has given her a new one, Yanni. She can't say Grand Jan. She says Yanni. I think Grand Jan is going to be Yanni to her. So we'll have a Jacksonville name for her, and we'll have a Tallahassee name for her. But I want to tell you this. Whenever Emerson says Yanni, It melts her heart because it means something. Whenever her grandsons call her Grand Jan, it melts their heart because it means something. Whenever they say pops, it's because they want something. (laughs) What we're called means something. God calls us his children. That's a confirmation of love. You're my children. Behold what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Words have meaning, and what God says is particularly meaningful. I like what Jesus said in telling us about preparing a place for us. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. That, uh, so if it not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? If it were not so, Jesus said. God's not in the habit of making small talk, saying things that don't matter. 
when God calls us his children, it means, it means something. Not only did he say it, <clears throat> he showed it. We're talking about how real God's love is for us. He said it. He showed it. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What else are you looking for from God? I mean, seriously, what else is there? What else do we want from God to convince us that he loves us? He loves us. He gave himself for us. He made for us a perfect world. And then we, mankind, in the name of Adam, polluted it with sin. He made for us a way to be forgiven of that sin and return to him. He paid for the way that he made and did all of this because he loves you and me. The song says, he gave his life, what more can he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Keep calm. God loves you. He does. God's love for you is first. God's love for you is vital. God's love for you is real. And finally, God's love for you is eternal. There are a lot of stories in the world today about love that's gone wrong. There would be no country music without love going wrong. Husbands and wives hurt each other. Parents abandon their children. Children running away from their parents and their homes. Some of you could tell a story like that. You could tell a story of love that's gone wrong. You'll never be able to tell a story about the love of God going wrong if you tell a true story. If you tell the truth about God's love, you'll never be able to say, God's love was really good and then it went bad. The true love of God is forever. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come uh, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Romans 8, 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor Congress, nor the Senate, nor the president, nor the party, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. Nothing will take God's love from you. Nothing will. It's, It's like the lady at the Federal Corrections Institution who told me when I went there to preach She walked up to me, a little lady about this tall, and she walked up and she said, I love you, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. 
I said, well, I don't want to do anything about it. I just love it. God's love is eternal. He loves you, and he wants you to know it. He wants you to live in the confidence of it. He wants you to have joy because of his love. Stuart Briscoe wrote this, and I'm bringing the message to a close. Years ago, when I was a young banker, we used big leather ledgers where all accounts were entered by hand. I remember daydreaming about those ledgers and God's ledgers in heaven. We are told that those books will be opened. I imagine by name, David Stuart Briscoe, and God adding up the sum total of my indebtedness against him. I could never cancel the overwhelming indebtedness. In my mind's eye, I saw God take his pen and transfer the sum total of my indebtedness to the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. On account of the Lord Jesus, he wrote, transferred from the account of David Stuart Briscoe. I thought God was finished, but then I saw him do something incredible. He added up the total righteousness of Christ and against it wrote these words, transferred to the account of David Stuart Briscoe. Now that's love. God loves you. And that makes all the difference today, tomorrow, and for eternity. My question would be, do you love God? Are you living in God's love? Do you know it personally? Today, when you walk out this door, I want you to keep calm because God loves you, but I want you to be excited because you love God.